Welcome to S2 Underground, a freelance intelligence agency fighting terrorism, fake news, and political tyranny around the world. I'm the trouble starter, punkin' instigator. Alright everyone, welcome back to the Underground once again. So today we're going to do something a little bit different from our normal podcast in which we talk about not intelligence matters, but rather the gear we can use to not just survive an incident, but be able to thrive and continue the mission no matter what the circumstances are. So today, in light of the global shortage of N95 uh, masks and other PPE, we're going to take a look at what exactly I keep in my... Uh, gas mask slash pro mask slash J-list bag or whatever you want to call it. I don't really have a name for it. This is kind of a niche topic that I've wanted to talk about for a long time, uh, especially with the new products and gear out on the market right now. As we all know, some of the greatest innovations come from warfare, and many lessons have been learned from the use of chemical weapons as far back as um, Saddam Hussein, and especially the more recent widespread use of chemical and nerve agents by the Syrian government, as well as the Russians in Syria. But before we do that, we've got to start with the why. So, why would anyone, civilian or otherwise, need a gas mask? Well, to be honest, there are many reasons, and here are just a few of the more compelling ones. Many preppers buy gas masks to sort of fulfill their dream of trudging through a highly radioactive, dystopian wasteland. For us, this is actually quite laughable, um, for many reasons, and it's certainly not why we have gas masks and other chemical gear. The reason why we recommend everyone to get a gas mask is a simple case of risk management. For those who are unfortunate enough to be extremely familiar with the risk management matrix, this is a bit redundant, but for those who don't know, risk is essentially a process of balancing the likelihood that something bad will happen with the severity of that same thing happening. For instance, the likelihood that you will get a paper cut at some point is high but the severity and the harm from getting a paper cut is extremely low, which results in a net risk level of low. Consequently, the likelihood of needing a gas mask is very low, but the severity of not having a gas mask when you need one is extremely high. In other words, if you have a gas mask and don't need it, that's fine, you're just out some money. But if you are in a situation where you truly need a gas mask and don't have one, you're most likely going to die in a very horrific and slow manner. Uh, as we know, the threat of domestic terrorism is extremely low, but never quite zero. And since choking agents like chlorine and phosgene have lots of industrial uses, these types of chemical weapons are easy to make, hard to track, and devastatingly effective. As a result, we view the somewhat high price of a gas mask as justifiable, considering the alternate outcome. Additionally, gas masks, as we are finding out from the global shortage of N95 and surgical masks, are good insurance to have when things get bad, even if wearing a gas mask would be quite overkill. While the social mores of humanity do not positively view wearing a gas mask out in public yet, 
by having a gas mask, you will have the most protection feasibly possible from everything from poison gas to someone coughing in your face. In a pinch, it's better to over-prepare than under-prepare, especially if you want to maintain a mission-ready status and retain combat effectiveness. Also, having a gas mask isn't just helpful for warfare or terrorist attacks, but for events like industrial factory accidents, um, nuclear power plant accidents, railroad chemical spills, uh, even tear gas during riots, uh, wildfire smoke, ash from volcanic eruptions, dust storms, and a long list of other natural disasters. And with these ideas in mind, we have created our own gas mask kits for each person in our households. And no, just having a mask is not enough. There are several other items that are required to enable you to have a kit that will enable you to survive everything from a sneeze to quite literally the worst forms of warfare ever devised by humankind. So without further ado, let's get into it. Most NBC doctrine is divided into three categories, detection, protection, and decontamination. We'll be starting right with the protection category as it's the core component of this kit. So first off, I've chosen the US military M40 as my protective mask of choice. Many of you who have been in the military are familiar with this mask and that it was replaced by the Avon M50 in recent years for a variety of reasons. While I would agree that the M50 is a better mask in almost every possible way, there are two reasons why I prefer the M40 mask. For one, the M40 is vastly cheaper. The M50 mask costs around $400 when you can find them, whereas I can regularly find brand new, still in the packaging M40 masks for about 50 bucks online. The other reason is the deal breaker for me the availability of filters. While I work with the military a lot, I am technically not part of the armed forces anymore, so as a result I don't have access to the nearly infinite supply chain of the DoD. This means that if I had an M50 mask, I would also have to find the filters for it, which are also enormously expensive and pretty hard to find nowadays. Um, and this is this is concerning, especially considering that no other country on Earth, except for I think some elite Iraqi um, counter-terrorist units, use the M50, whereas most countries on Earth use some variant of the M40 filter, uh, the 40 millimeter filter. Um, additionally, I have found that the M50 filters are quite difficult to change out while wearing the mask, despite this being a, an advertising feature of the M50. It's still pretty hard to do, at least for me. So, for these reasons, I choose the M40, which takes the NATO standard 40mm features, which are cheap and plentiful, and perhaps most importantly, unlikely to be bought up by the federal government in times of emergency which would leave a vast supply for the civilian market. I've been issued both the M50 and M40 mask, and while the M50 is the better mask, I prefer the M40 as a civilian, unless I'm deployed with a military unit that has unhampered access to extra M50 filters. Now, if you yourself are looking for a mask and either can't get the M40 or are looking to spend a little bit more money, the company Mira Safety makes many masks for the civilian market, most of which have full panoramic faceplates, which are a great idea. 
In the civilian world, a full panoramic face mask is preferable due to looking less scary and less tactical than, say, an M40 mask. So that's something to, to consider as well. Whatever mask you choose, we would recommend that you make sure that the mask either has the standard 40mm threading or you are able to stockpile enough filters to last a while. Also, make sure the mask has a drinking tube. Uh, if you've ever had to wear a mask and do even a small amount of physical activity, you know that you will sweat a lot and get dehydrated extremely quickly. And the ability to rehydrate while keeping the mask on is highly desirable. So the next thing that you're going to need in the protection category of this kit is obviously a filter. So for me, I tend to keep it simple. I keep a standard U.S. military C2A1 filter opened and affixed to the mask while it's stored in the bag. And I also keep another filter sealed up in its canister as a spare. The spare filter I keep is a VK-450 filter, which filters out NBC contaminants, but also filters out smoke and carbon monoxide to an extent. This filter is great because it can be used in an area with as little as 19% oxygen, so it can be used to escape a structure fire or wildfire as well. It's not perfect, but the normal NBC filters don't filter out any carbon monoxide at all, and the VK450 filter is the best you can buy and relatively new to the market. And you certainly pay for it as well. Uh, while a normal 40mm NBC filter normally costs around 40 bucks, the VK450 costs around 90 Some people vastly more experienced and intelligent than I have talked about whether or not you should keep a filter opened and attached to the mask or not. There are arguments for and against, one being that the moment you open an NBC filter, it has a very limited shelf life and starts, to, starts degrading almost immediately. Um, others say that as long as you're not actively breathing through it, the filter will last much longer than the packaging states and will could last several years. There are many people out there that have talked about this topic before, so you can do your own research and figure out what's best for you. As for me, I split the difference and keep one on the mask, uh, the cheaper one, and one sealed up, the more expensive one. So before moving on to the rest of the components of this kit, let me talk for a second about the bag I keep all this gear in. Um, I store the mask with the filter attached, uh, the spare filter, and the rest of the gear I'm about to mention in the standard M40 gas mask bag that comes with the mask. I do this for several reasons. Uh, for one, it's not a bad bag. Um, it's decently small, holds all of the components, and has multiple ways of carrying or wearing. I can easily strap it to the outside of a ruck, uh, which is how I usually carry it if I have to. Um, I can wear it like a sling bag or messenger bag, and I can wear it like it was intended to be worn uh, around the waist with a leg strap. But most importantly, I keep the mask and other gear in the original gas mask bag because it's recognizable. Most people who have used a gas mask before know the familiar green color and unique shape of the M40 gas mask bag. So in the event that I'm incapacitated and need help getting my mask on, or if I'm already dead, <laughs> I want someone to be able to instantly recognize what bag my gas mask is in. So even though there are better bags out there, I prefer the one that is recognizable. 
And now here are the rest of the contents of the kit split into the categories of detection and decontamination. So first up, detection uh, or are the supplies that you'll need to know when it is safe to take off your mask. So one of the common tenets of Seaburn in the military is to never, never, never take off your mask unless you are positive that it is safe to do so, which is impossible to tell without a test kit. So as a result, I keep a couple of the M256A1 chemical agent detector kits in the bag so that in the extremely unlikely event that I am the victim of a chemical weapons attack, I can know when the chemical agents are no longer in the air and it's safe to take off the mask. Along with the M256A1 test kits, I keep a booklet of the M8 detection paper and a couple of squares of the M9 detection tape. Uh, these papers change color when exposed to various chemical agents, so there's another method to determine if you've been exposed and if it's safe to take off your mask. Another item that you might want to consider adding is a small dosimeter or Geiger counter for radiological events. Um, a few years ago, I would have said that these things aren't worth buying. But the past few years have given us huge technological innovations that make Geiger counters small and light, and the demand created by the Fukushima Daiichi incident has brought the costs of such devices down to be feasible. For around 100 bucks, you can have a medical-grade Geiger counter that alerts you when there is a spike in radiation. So if you live near a power plant or other radiation source, this might be worth investing in. Moving right along to the decontamination category of items, we have first a simple bottle of water. Um, as the old adage goes, dilution is the solution to pollution. Uh, the same logic applies to most agents that would require you to put on a mask in the first place. A disposable 8-ounce bottle of water is great for not only having something to douse your mask, head, and hands with before demasking, but is also a last-ditch drinking water source. Next up is a M291 decontamination kit. Basically, these are a series of six individually wrapped wipes uh, coated in a chemical-absorbing black powder that you can use to decontaminate yourself after exposure to a variety of chemical agents. Uh, once again, while extremely rare, I wanted to make my gas mask a comprehensive kit for all scenarios. So that's why I've got so much chemical agent items in this bag. Uh, next up is an RSDL wipe, or sponge. Uh, this is a brand new product to the market, and I haven't seen anyone talking about it yet at length, but it is a total game changer. Um, basically, it is a sponge that is impregnated with a reactive skin decontamination lotion, or RSDL. This lotion is vastly more effective than the old two, uh, M291 kit that I just mentioned, and it pretty much neutralizes every chemical weapon there is, uh, or at least the most common ones used in warfare. Um, however, there is a con. It is enormously expensive. Uh, last time I checked, it was about 50 bucks for one single packet, whereas the M291 kit is about 15 bucks for six wipes. But once again, I wanted this kit to literally be the best there is, so I shelled out for one of the RSDL kits. Another relatively new technology that I've included is a couple of small bottles of a product called Fast Act Powder. 
Uh, this is a new powder that is sprinkled over contaminated skin, clothing, and equipment that has been exposed to chemical agent. The full specifications are on the Fast Act website, but suffice it to say that this powder, like the RSDL sponge, is vastly more effective than the military uh, equipment that is sort of Cold War era technology um, that we're still currently relying on. The next decon item I have are two or three Sudicon wipes. Uh, these wipes have only one purpose, which is to wipe down and decontaminate the eyes and face from exposure to pepper spray or tear gas. These wipes are simply the best thing for you if you either accidentally or purposefully get hit with pepper spray or other non-lethal riot control agents. Uh, these wipes are also effective if, say, you have to pepper spray someone and then fight them, which is often overlooked by people who carry pepper spray. Just like you should carry an IFAC if you're going to carry a gun, if you're going to carry a pepper spray, it would be a good idea to also carry a few Sudicon wipes, at least in our opinion. To go along with these, I also have a couple of individually wrapped shower wipes. Uh, these are another new product to the market over the past few years and are usually sold to backpackers and outdoor enthusiasts. Um, these shower wipes are basically an individual wet wipe on steroids. Um, the one I have here are 24 inches wide and 48 inches long. Uh, so basically like a, a mini towel and they're extremely durable. Uh, way more durable than, than say like a wet wipe or a, a baby wipe. Uh, these can be used for a variety of decontamination and cleaning purposes. I also have several individually wrapped Clorox bleach wipes, which can be used for things like biological threats, such as exposure to a virus or bacteria or something like that. Uh, to go along with this, I have a small bottle of hand sanitizer, as well as an individual packet of Hibiclens surgical soap, which is also used to wash down with. Some of the other items I keep in this kit that aren't really used for either, the, they don't really fall into any of the other categories, are some potassium iodide pills for protecting the thyroid during a radiological incident. Uh, I also have a Camelback adapter so that I can use the Camelback in my ruck with my mask. Uh, I've also got a few pairs of nitrile gloves, which are self-explanatory. And finally, I have two or three flat-fold N95 masks for less serious threat that still require some level of protection. We keep these for three reasons. Uh, firstly, they are more comfortable to wear for hours on end, and it's always a good idea to use the least amount of PPE possible while still protecting against the threat. Uh, secondly, if the threat is, say, against a virus, we wouldn't necessarily want to crack open a new filter for going to the grocery store or something like that. And thirdly, and perhaps most unfortunately, N95 masks are far less scary looking than a full face gas mask. Um, if I had my choice, uh, I would gladly put up with the discomfort and cost of wearing a gas mask for 12 hours a day if I was a healthcare worker who was at the highest risk for contracting something infectious. But unfortunately, sometimes we need to accept an increase of personal risk and not take the best protective measures for the sake of the public or for those we're treating. We, as intelligence professionals, have immense experience with this, albeit in other areas like personal defense, but 
when it comes down to the issue at hand, sometimes we have to wear a flimsy surgical mask in order to not freak out patients or just people at the grocery store, even when we should be wearing a full-face respirator for the best protection. Like it or not, the social considerations of our actions cannot be dismissed this day and age, and wearing a gas mask out in public invites a lot of intention, which is almost always unwanted. Now, before we close out, we wanted to read a section of the U.S. Army's Field Manual 3-7, the NBC Handbook, specifically the section on how to take off your mask if you don't have or can't get your hands on any chemical detector kits. These instructions are meant for military units, but you can easily use common sense to adapt these tactics for yourself. So, here we go. Unmasking procedures without the M256 series chemical detector kits. If an M256 series kit is not available, the unmasking procedures take at least 35 minutes. Find a shady area. Use the M9, M8 paper to check the area for possible liquid contamination. Uh, when a reasonable amount of time has passed after the attack, the senior person should select one or two individuals. They take a deep breath, hold it, and break the seal of their mask for 15 seconds, keeping their eyes wide open. They then clear and reseal their masks and are observed for 10 minutes. If no symptoms appear, the selected individuals break the seal of their mask, take two or three breaths, keeping their eyes wide open, and then clear and reseal their masks. Observe them for another 10 minutes. If no symptoms appear, the selected individuals unmask for five minutes and then remask. If no symptoms appear in 10 minutes after remasking, the commander considers issuing a directive for an all clear. These, this process takes a minimum of 35 minutes. Leaders continue to observe the selected personnel in case delayed symptoms develop. So this is a lot of information to soak in, I know, but hopefully it gives you some idea on how to decide what mask to get or how to improve the gear you already have or were issued. As the current pandemic has shown us, we cannot buy gear when it's needed. We have to buy gear before it's needed. So think about it and shoot us an email at s2undergroundactual at gmail.com or slide up in our DMs on the gram or join our Discord server if you have any questions. We'll do our best to answer them and get you sorted out. And most importantly, tell your friends about us. Scratch our name into a port shitter whatever it takes. Help us get the word out about the work we're doing. So that's all we have for this time, and we'll be doing many more gear-type episodes in the future in addition to our weekly intelligence updates. So we'll see you next time, and as always, fight in the shade. It's to actual out. <laughs>